Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. All right, time once again for the Decibel Geek Podcast. No time to mess around. Around here, you've got two hosts. I'm Aaron Camaro, and Chris, that's the name, Chris. He may look insane. Chris, if rocks your game, it's Chris Sinzak. Wow. Yeah. I'm pretty impressed. 1978 style coming at you. That's a good introduction, huh? That's a lot better than what I dealt with in school. You know what I had to listen to then? Huh. Warm it up, Chris. I'm about to. Remember oh. that stupid ass song from the nineties? Uh-huh. That really the crisscross. Crisscross. Crisscross will make the, you jump. Wore their jump. pants backwards. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. They had a song called Warm It Up, Chris, and that's what people used to always say to me. Well, I'm glad that I was able to give you changed better it. better tribute with like the greatest commercial song yeah. ever from nineteen seventy eight and beyond. Although now the Mego company is going to sue us. <laughs> <laughs> or come out with Decibel Geek action figures, one yeah. of the two. That'd be great. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, we're excited to do part two of this because I think this is our our most uh, well reviewed uh, year in review show we've ever done. And uh, yeah, lots of lots of positive response. I have people saying they've listened to it two and three times, which blows well, me away. You know that that's just par for the course when you're you're the kind of guys that have a Facebook page with a thousand plus likes on it. Well, we're That's gonna, we're the way gonna, it goes. We're going to start proclaiming the greatness of us already. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with the, 
the rock and rollers coming together and congregating and enjoying what we're doing here. Yeah, you know? and, and, and it shows. Our head writer Wally, uh, he uh, he started the uh, cattle call about a week ago. Going, come on, we're like eight likes away. Let's yeah, let's get this thing over a thousand, and uh, that leads us into this week's geek of the week. And uh, it was an easy choice because For sure. And we had a lot of you sharing the the link, so I want to thank all of you who did share the link and get us. We got over the thousand like thing Heck yeah, we yesterday love it. as of this recording. Yeah. And um, so we're over there now. But a few days ago, um, a devoted listener of the show, a guy named Aaron Baker, who's oh from man, that guy is awesome. He's always on the page and he's always responding to stuff. And he's and he's he's in high school, I believe. So. It's not just older people listening to the show. We actually That's have right. high schoolers with decent taste in music. Right. The there is future. Hope. The future <laughs> is alive for rock and roll, you know, and it's young guys like Aaron Baker that continue the traditions that we laid forth before them and, and the bands that we love, you know, continue to lay forth for other musicians. And, you know, that means hopefully we'll get some more good music from new bands coming up soon, too. Yeah. He So he shared the link and he had this nice message on there just trying to tell, help us get to 1,000 uh, likes. And he said... Uh, if you like hard rock and heavy metal music, this is the podcast for you. The host, Chris and Aaron, are some of the funniest guys around. I don't know if that's intentional or yeah, not, but uh, it just kind of happens. That they way. really know how to keep you tuned into their podcast. The last episode uh, I listened to was the Roth era Van Halen discussion, which was very entertaining. I've never laughed so hard in my life at the story <laughs> their guest Todd Austin told. They know which one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It we know what you're talking uh, about. <laughs> assless chaps and uh, a female's response to those assless chaps. What a great what a great conversation that was yeah, with Todd Zilla, Todd man. was awesome. And, Very uh, cool. He says, I really lo- enjoy listening to the podcast no matter what the show topic or topic is. Thank you, Aaron and Chris, for, for producing such a great podcast. So thank you, Aaron, for listening. And uh, your, yeah. your Monopoly money is on its way to, I think it's Troy, Ohio is where it says he's from. Along with a lot of glory, prestige, and honor. Yeah. Oh, all, yeah. All that good stuff. So, Man, we better quit messing around now. We yeah. we got to get serious. I mean, we're talking year in review time. We really do our homework and really bust it out for you. Rock and roll style is a, a look back. And we're doing it again today for the second part of 1978. And that brings us up to the month of July. Yeah, middle of the year, we are finally at the at the uh, the hottest point of the summer. And uh, if one thing people remember and still actually go to are summer hot summer festivals. Heck yeah, that's always fun. And the first Texas Jam, Texas with two X's, uh, happened over a long Fourth of July weekend at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas on July first. The uh, first day features Ted Nugent, Aerosmith, Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush, Heart Journey, Head East, Atlanta Rhythm Section, Eddie Money, Van Halen, and Walter Egan. Sunday consists of Willie Nelson headlining his sixth annual Fourth of July picnic. So there's a little that bit of something That all for sounds everybody. like a lot of fun. Yeah. I think, how could you not go to something like that? This is where the abuse of the time machine discussion comes in. Right. That's a time <laughs> you, machine. Place. Would you go back and save lives? No, you'd go to the Texas Jam in 1978. Yeah. <laughs> Aerosmith had a, uh, a particularly awesome set. I remember I used to have a VHS tape of their performance yeah. at that. Yeah. Right on. But yeah, Texas Jam was a big deal. And then. Uh, from a high point in July to kind of a low point in for music history in July 21st, uh, the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band film starring oh the movie starring Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees performing the music of the Beatles opens in theaters and I was so confused the first time I saw that oh really it was like wait a minute 
isn't this supposed to be the Beatles doing this? Right. You know, and I had no idea what was going on. And I, whatever it was, I knew instinctively that it was wrong. Yeah. Whatever, whatever is going on here on my TV set is wrong. The only uh, good thing about it was the uh, the band, the villain band of the movie was Aerosmith. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Original choice from rumors I've heard was Kiss, and they turned it down. Hmm. Interesting. I'm I'd not like sure if that's out, true. I'd like to find out more about that. Let me make that, that clear. Would've, it would have been a good fit. I'm not sure if that's true before the corrections department comes <laughs> all over me about it. I've that. heard that before myself. Yeah. And then uh, for my own personal reason, July 30th, Thin Lizzy officially announces that Gary Moore has replaced Brian Robertson on guitar and uh, brought forth an awesome era for Thin Lizzy. Not that the Brian Robertson era, era wasn't, but a, right, a really but cool era. Gary Moore freaking rocks, yeah, man. Great guitar player. All right, so that brings us up to August, and our first sample of music is what? All right, I'm going to kick off August by playing a track from a sophomore album by a band from the New England area. with d- feeling satisfied from the Don't Look Back album. I uh, Uplifting I, rock from yeah, 1978. Man. I love that in the 70s there, it was like this whole movement of songs about the healing and uplifting power of rock and roll. Yeah, it's, you don't hear it's that spiritual. much anymore today. <laughs> but yeah, it was like rock and, rock and roll was like a true religion back in those days. <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, I had a guitar teacher when I was about 13 who would tell me that he remembered the summer of 76. Now, not when Don't Look Back came out, when the debut came out. Right. And he said, you would literally, that whole summer, you would go to every party you would go to, they would just play that album over and over again. Wow. It was just huge. You know, it's like perfect party music for that era. You yeah, know? for sure. And, uh, you know, the ultimate in music production, even if you're not big into uplifting rock and roll, it's, <laughs> you got to admit, it's produced perfectly. Right. And yeah. the musicianship is there. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's all there. You know, you really, even if you don't care for the the style of music, you can't I deny do. Boston. <laughs> you know, has got it together. But uh, I wish I could say the same for their new album. Well, here's <laughs> a band that's real popular at the time. You know, this they've been around for quite a while, and I'm talking about the Who. And in 1978, in uh, on the 18th of August, they released "Who Are You." Mm-hmm. And it's the follow-up to 1975's The Who by Numbers, and a long break after this 1976 tour winds up. So they get back together to record Who Are You, and uh, it takes a long time, but Pete Townsend attempts to kind of fuse punk rock with kind of like progressive rock a little bit on this, 
And, you know, Keith Moon's in really bad shape at this time. Yeah. And his heavy drinking causes the band to make very few live appearances, and he takes on he takes quite a while to get back into playing form. But the result is the Who is Most Popular and Fastest Selling Album Ever. <laughs> Good stuff. Sadly, 20 days after the release of this album, on September 6th, uh, Moon will attend a Buddy Holly birthday celebration held in London by Paul McCartney. And upon returning home early in the morning after the party, he takes 32 tablets of an alcohol withdrawal medication and was discovered dead later on that day. Wow. Man. I think he was trying to clean up around that time, too. Well, and that would explain the, the alcohol withdrawal yeah. medication. You know, it's just like, yeah, you know, 32 of them? Holy shit. There was a show on, I think, A&E or Discovery or something, It was, and it was called, like, The Last Days of Keith Moon. Yeah? And I watched pieces of it, but it was very depressing to watch. It just... He really just fell apart as a human being in the, at the end there. Just terrible. I mean, right. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, he went from being this slim rock god of a right. drummer, and then you look, even on the album cover in this, he's sitting on a chair backwards to hide his big old beer belly. Yeah, he had really you let know, himself go. No, no shame in having a beer belly, but, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend taking 32 tablets of alcohol withdrawal medication. Probably not. After partying hard all night. Yeah, it's a sad story. You know, the who they end up carrying on in November, they announced that former face is drummer Kenny Jones. Hey, remember him? Yep. We talked about him in episode uh, number one in 1978. He ends up landing that sweet gig, and he is Keith Moon's replacement. But it wouldn't last long because it wouldn't be uh, until 1979 before they'd tour again. Oh, yeah. 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 And I don't know, Daltrey has claimed he was never fully sold on uh Right. Him as the drummer, I, it's how do you replace Keith Moon? Exactly, I mean, that's you pretty know? signature. I mean, look style. at Zeppelin. You know, when once Bonham was done, the band was pretty right. much done. You know, and it kind of yeah. should go that way with the Who too. Yeah, yeah. Although I'd still love to see him. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, even in tw- in Twistle, you know, and yeah, the bass playing on yeah. is so good. Oh, he's an know? incredible bassist. So there he was. Yeah, so, well, damn, I'm bummed out now. Yeah, man. <laughs> what a drag 1978's been so far. Yeah, so what do you got next? Uh, let's see, what do I have next? Ah, Sticks. Released September 1st, 1978. This is their eighth studio album. And these guys are one of the hardest working bands of the 70s. Talk about Chicago, Illinois, Sticks. They've released an album every year since their self-titled debut in 1971. 
78's Pieces of Eight is a follow-up to their 77 breakthrough album, The Grand Illusion. It's hard to top a big hit single like Foolin' Yourself and Come Sail Away, but Pieces ties it together by peaking at number six on the U.S. album charts. Back-to-back triple platinum albums. Blue Collar Man, uh, another single off that one, uh, Sing for the Day, and of course, who could forget the mega hit, Renegade. Yeah, never before has a band been so misnamed. The band, uh, With a name like Styx, you'd you think, think they were be... like some Satan-worshipping band or something. Right, you know? the pentagrams on the covers well, yeah, of the albums and stuff <laughs> like that. No, Let's name our Styx. band after a river that flows through hell and then sing songs <laughs> about robots. <laughs> <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> I mean, that's in the future. They're not singing about robots yet. <laughs> it's a, a blue collar man with horns and a tail. You right. Know? <laughs> but, yeah, you know. are right about that. That is funny. It's a very inappropriately named band, but uh, they put out some good stuff. But yeah, that was be- yeah, that like was during the, man. the good, good period song. before the the Roboto thing came in. And if you've never seen the behind the music on Sticks, it's worth your time. Oh, totally, man. That's whole, a they, wild story with those when guys. When they go into the whole Kilroy was here thing it's watching tommy shaw relive it is just hilarious yeah yeah because it's really sticks is kind of like two bands in one you got like the tommy shaw side of it that's just a straight up rock band as you can see in songs like blue collar man and then you got the uh yeah dennis de young side of it it's like yeah broadway (laughs) keyboards you know and somehow they they force it together and you get sticks yeah you get sticks wow Okay, so now we are to the point of the show yeah, where this is pretty much the moment everyone's been waiting for, or, or some some people have not been waiting. Yeah, for. or waiting to skip over. People said this is not going to be a two-hour show about just the Kiss solo albums. Right? Well, you know, it is 1978, and Kiss is huge in 1978. Yeah. You know, we've already talked about double platinum, and now it brings us up to the solo albums. And this is like the first time in history that simultaneously four members of the same band have released solo albums on the same day. That's insane. Yep. It uh, shipped platinum and returned double platinum. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was too much. Right. Yeah. I mean, Kiss at this point is pretty much everywhere. And, you know, I remember stories like my Uncle Bruce, who was a hardcore Kiss fan, and then he lost it about 1978. You know, it was like it got to be, you know, that's a band for little kids now. You know, he was 
into more serious rock at this time. Yeah. He was getting into Priest and bands like that. Yeah, this was the this was kind of the turning point year of the commercialism and uh, people. This is where a lot of the diehards started jumping off, and then the Mego Dolls didn't help yeah. things. The solo albums being the, uh, the mark. I'm not gonna say the solo albums didn't that they didn't help things. They they were fine, but I think the over marketing didn't help if things. You, if you stick around a little bit later into the episode, we're gonna get to the breaking point of Kiss. Yeah, but but right now yeah. I think to talk about the solo albums, you know, even to me, Ace Frehley's solo album, in my personal humble opinion, is probably the greatest album ever released. By anybody? By anybody ever. Wow. Yes. That's a bold statement. I believe so. If I could only choose one album to take with me anywhere, wow. it would probably be that one. It's I, so good. It's so good. Oh, it is. I don't know. You're not going to get me disagreeing with you. I th- I consider it it's one of the all-time best albums of the 70s, at least. Yeah. I mean, and it's... Uh, yeah, it very Easily well... Easily the best of the solo albums. It very well could be the best thing ever released with a Kiss logo on it. Yeah. It very well could be. Although I, I make a strong case for Paul's album, too. <laughs> yeah, because Paul's is really good. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. Everybody talks about the solo albums. It says Aces is really good. Paul's is really good. And then you get to Gene and Peter. <laughs> then you get to Gene and Peter. <laughs> and they're, Gene's is good, but you have to understand. Well, both, though, Gene and Peter both did what they really wanted to do. Gene could have released, and, and I just listened to the solo album. And there was a box set that came out of the solo albums when they, or it was a press kit that they put out, and they had these long interviews with each member on it. And I was listening to Gene's interview on my iPod the other day. Right on. And he basically said, you know, they, they were asking him, they were like, do, do you think, what do you think the Kiss fans are going to think of your, of your solo album? He said, oh, they're going to hate it. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, they won't, <laughs> how did he, he put it really funny? He put it something, uh, Something like uh, it's no dis- sit on my face, it's no disgrace type songs is all the Kiss fans expect, right. you know. And he's like, and it's gonna piss them off, but that's okay. And uh, he wanted to do his singer songwriter thing. He he loves Gene Simmons' new Kiss wasn't going anywhere, and to him, you know, being like if you look at like because the idea was Peter, Chris, and Ace really were feeling trapped within the band, I think, and they wanted to express more of their own musical flair, right. which Ace definitely did, and Peter, in his way, also really did. Paul and Gene, I don't think we're probably all about it. I mean, this seemed like an Ace and Peter kind of an idea, wow. but if they're going to go along with it, Gene doesn't care, Paul doesn't care, they know Kiss is going to go on, so they can do whatever. You know, yeah. Paul decides to do a kick-ass rock album, well, because which totally That's is. what he did in Kiss, and I don't. I think I mean, Paul's character in Kiss is him. And he's comfortable yeah. with that. Gene, Gene is Simmons, a different person. Yeah, he's totally different, yeah. so what you get well, is, you know... He's more dead-on the Beatle-type songwriter guy. Right. As you saw on his solo album that he released later on, right? And For then, sure. and then Peter comes from like a swing and R and B background, hanging out with that damn Vinnie Poncia. Yeah, as we talked in fresh, part one, fresh out of hanging out with Ringo Starr, he's on, he's latched right on. He just goes from drummer to drummer, don't he? Yeah, that he, guy. He does. So here's what we did. We basically we don't want to spend a whole ton of time on the solo albums because ninety percent of our fan base knows everything there is to know about the solo albums. Right. So I did little mashups and that could uh, be an episode by itself. Yeah, and uh, Aaron picked Ace and Peter songs, and I picked Gene and Paul songs, and uh, each one will segue into the other.
spectacular season premiere with Bob Hope and Olivia Newton-John. Then Walter Matthau's The Kindly Manager. Oh, shut up. And Tatum O'Neill's The Killer Arm. Grab a bat, punk. It's a comedy explosion, The Bad News Bears. Friday night on ABC. spend the whole entire episode talking about the solo albums. No, we made it short and sweet for everybody. But if you're not true believers, there's more Kiss to come in 1978. Of course. Yeah, hey, I wanted to, uh, before we get back into the year, I want to uh, give a shout out real quick. We don't really talk enough. Every week, uh, the Decibel Geek podcast is actually syndicated on a number of different affiliate streams. So, And I wanted to uh, tip my hat to one of those this week, and I'll try to do this more regularly because these people believe in the show and they help carry the show and give us more listeners and we want to show them some appreciation right on so um i want to talk about red eye radio network and um they're a really cool station they've uh, been around looks like since 2005 and uh, norma who runs the show over there does a great job and I always think, what decibel geek is on on tuesday nights yeah, right tuesday at 6 p.m eastern right on and all you got to do to check us out on there if you uh, if you don't have your ipod around and you just want to stream us somewhere or let somebody else check us out just on Tuesday night, go to RedEyeRadioNetwork.com, and you can uh, listen to the Decibel Geek podcast right there. All right. And so, if yeah. you are listening on uh, RedEye.com, yeah. rock on. Yeah. Welcome to the Decibel Geek podcast. Yeah, and for all of our affiliate streams, just go to the affiliates link on DecibelGeek.com, and you can uh, see all the places we're being played every week. So you know the cool rock radio stations that are out there on the Internet. Because yeah. if they carry us, they're they, cool. Yeah, they have to be. Right. That's a prerequisite. Exactly. That's a big word like gymnasium. Yeah, it is. All right. All right. Back to the music in 1978. Oh, it's on to me, right? It is on to you. Okay. Let me, let me, <laughs> I got like 3,000 things going on at once here. Let me Unless make sure you're against stuff. it. Oh, the, thank you for the little clue there. We're into what month? Are we, oh, God. Are we in September now? Yes, we are. Okay, in September. The, the Ramones released uh, Road to Ruin in September as their fourth studio album released on Sire Records. This was the first one they did with uh, Marky Ramone on drums after Tommy left the band to become basically the producer. And as he says in the end of the Century documentary, he left the band because he thought he was losing his mind. Wow. And if you, That's awesome. if you read about the dysfunction in the Ramones, you'll see what he was talking about. A lot of dysfunction in this band. The Road to Ruin showed kind of more of a classic pop sound, and it was also it was a more of a serious personality in the music. And uh, this was I, I liken it to this is when Joey took more of a front and center position because Johnny was all about the buzzsaw guitar. Let's just go crazy. Right. Joey comes from that. He liked a lot of the uh, he liked like a lot of the Motown sound from the '60s, and uh, he wanted to bring that into it. And that's why they kind of became like a a rock version of that stuff, you know.
Joey also started uh, getting very political in a lot of their songs back in the, at that point. Yeah. And it got way more into the 80s. Like he became an activist and everything. And it was it became less about sniffing glue and more about saving the, the planet. <laughs> so <laughs> Gotta have priorities, <laughs> man. <laughs> and the Ramones, like, talk about two people that couldn't be any more different with Johnny Ramone and Joey Ramone. Like, yeah. Joey was a complete left-wing liberal. As far left as you can get, Johnny was a total conservative and oh. hated everything liberal. So, And yet they, they lived together within the world of the Ramones. And never spoke to each other. <laughs> Such a weird story. Yeah. And there was well, speaking th- of dysfunctional bands. Yeah. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> Eighth studio album. Final one with uh, one Ozzy Osbourne in 1978. Black Sabbath releases Never Say Die. Man, I mean, if you ever want to see a testament to a band who has just completely crumbled, yeah. it's this album. But it's a great album. I don't think so, man. You don't I like this? Yeah. And most it. Sabbath fans would agree with you. I hate it. Really? You hate this album? I love the song. I love the, yeah. ti- I love the title track. Yeah. The rest of it, to me, just... It's uh. no, I think this is a pretty cool track. that you know by compared to any other band it's still pretty damn good oh but, yeah but by sabbath standards you don't think it holds up i don't think it holds i don't up. know i like this and i like technical ecstasy i like both yeah see. a lot of fans hate that stuff but i just i don't know i liked it when they would raise the tempo a little bit everything doesn't have to be yes it does that's like i can only handle that yes, for so long does. but we don't need it's, eight it, minutes this of that. is black sabbath we're talking about this ain't the sweet this ain't boston i like the it's sweet black boston sabbath Twitter. this is where you and i differ well i can't get into it it was uh i so, mean it's fine for those bands but not for Sabbath. but most sabbath fans would agree with you it didn't go gold until 1997 it took so, a while um but yeah the van was really bad off on drugs at that point and uh they recorded it in toronto per- purely for tax reasons because it was cheaper. That's how yeah. they were. They, well, they wanted to save more money for drugs. And um, <laughs> Ozzy left the band for a few months, and that's what we've talked about this before. Dave right. Walker from Savoy Brown and Fleetwood Mac stepped in and started writing with them. 
And then Ozzy got so pissed off at that idea yeah, that he came well, back. Go back, so. go back in the archives and check out the other Black Sabbath episode, and you'll yeah, find we'll, out we'll, all about that. Yeah, and they wrote some songs with Dave Walker. That and uh, Junior's Eyes was written with Walker, and then Ozzy rewrote some of the lyrics right. to make it about his dad. Yeah, but that song was written with the guy from Fleetwood Mac. Crazy dysfunction. <laughs> How Fleetwood Mac and Sabbath would ever come together is just beyond right. me. But it happened. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. I guess we'll move on from there. I mean, it's it's Sabbath. You let's, know. let's talk about a uh, another controversial character, at least controversial today. Not so yeah. much back then. No, back then he was just known for kicking ass, banging teenage girls. But uh, well, yeah, yeah. Ted Nugent came out Weekend Warriors. It was par for the course back in 1978. Kind of was. And. Uh, Speaking of which, I came up with a good idea. I'll talk to you off mic about it. But you'll, you got you <laughs> listeners will hear it later. Um, this was his fourth studio album. It was the first one to not feature Derek St. Holmes, who was really good. And then Charlie Hun came in and, or Hune, I think it was Hun, came in and, to be the singer. He did pretty good too. This really reached twenty four on Billboard. I just bought this album on vinyl actually like two weeks ago. So, uh, but there's a lot of good songs on here, and this is a track from Weekend Warriors. <laughs> That's your next president of the United States. Man, we can only hope. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. That's With a, Jesse Ventura as his oh vice. <laughs> then I'll know then the apocalypse we'll, is coming. Yeah, then what would the rest of the world think of us? Oh, geez. oh man. Yeah, everyone would hate us at that point. Well, yeah. you know, we just send them all free Ted Nugent albums from 1978, right. and all will be good. Very cool album cover for that album. It's Ted holding a guitar that has a has a gun on the end of right. it. It was a co- illustration and stupid nerdy fact. Um, it was actually a drawing that was done for a magazine article on him, and he liked it so much he made it the album cover. Nice. So yeah. Yeah. Well, he's it's a great that album. Guy loves the whole guns. album is good. All the Nugent's late seventies material in particular is really good stuff. Hell yeah, it is. So, yeah, yeah, that's him. At even his if peak. even if you don't like his politics, some good music there. Absolutely. All right, moving on. Also released in September of 1978. This one's pretty interesting. After a, after burning out on constant touing and fighting with Richie Blackmore. Oh yeah, remember we talked about Richie Blackmore? Yeah, the Renaissance Fair one. dictator. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know the constant fight. We, he is a dictator, as we found out. Uh, talking about lead vocalist Ian Gillian, he quit Deep Purple in 1973 and took an extended break from the music business until he returned in 1975 and with a weird jazz rock fusion experimental kind of album. But in 1978, he comes back and forms the band Gillian, and it's a return to his hard rock roots.
Now, it wouldn't take long after this album comes out for the old dictator to come back around, <laughs> and uh, Richie Blackmore wants Ian Gillen to replace the departing Ronnie James Dio in Rainbow. Gillen turns down the offer to replace Dio in Rainbow, but as we know, a few years later, he will take the offer to replace Dio in Sabbath. Yeah, in my least favorite sa- era of Sabbath. Really worse than 1978. Yeah, huh? I like Never Say Die, and I like Technical Ecstasy. I don't like Born Again. No. Yeah. All right, that brings us up to our next release in 1978. I got to pick this one as well. It's Skinner's first and last, and it's aptly titled because not only is it their last album released posthumously. Posthumous? Oh, yeah. What after, does that mean? after they're dead. Posthumously. Okay. Yeah. Posthumously, like I said. Oh. Um, I they're am released. Posthuman. <laughs> Sorry. Released in 1978. It's, uh, of course, after the terrible plane crash in 1977 outside of uh, Gillsburg, Mississippi. It took the lives of band members Steve and Cassie Gaines, as well as lead singer Ronnie Van Zant. You know, and this one was released after all that. It's the very last of Leonard Skinner. new pizzazz magazine fantastic fantastic but not perfect but pizzazz has the lowdown on jaws too and more sean cassidy picks than his mother it's sensational sensational but not perfect how about pizzazz's goofy guide to tv it's wild look at sci-fi movies it's games puzzles comics what could be more perfect me on the cover not the hulk pizzazz the almost perfect new monthly from the off the wall gang at marvel comics Listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast as we explore the rock and roll world of 1978. 
part two. If you missed part one, go back in the archives. You can always check it out. Other things worth checking out, the website, www.decibelgeek.com. You're going to find your T-shirts. You're going to find your rock and roll information from our amazing writers at the website. All kinds of kick-ass articles coming up all the time. These guys get the interviews that we can't even get. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to have them book the show from now on. Yeah, no kidding. The the inside scoop is at the website. Um, If you want to donate to the show, you feel like, hey, these guys are bringing me something worthwhile and I want to kick them a little something, try to help them out, you can click the donate button on the website. If you go to Amazon, you want to go to the website and go to Amazon through the Decibel Geek website. Help us out any way you can. we got to pay the bills, keep the lights on, and keep this show free always. We always will. We'll find a way, but we could always use some help. Yeah, it would be nice, uh, if you want, especially if you want a T-shirt. I, we got an order in today, so I'm going to do a, a pickup pretty soon. And See, I'm feeling bad. Chris comes to me. He's like, hey, man, I sold a T-shirt. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I sold a t-shirt. Exactly. Do I want to sound like that? Do well, I? Kind of. Tito, here's a oh. tissue. Oh, that's killing me. I know, man, because you were so upset, but then you were so happy. You want Chris to be happy. Yeah. When Chris is happy, we deliver excellent episodes. Chris sold a t-shirt today, 1978 Part 2. It's no coincidence. <laughs> yep. So he enjoy. stuff and we'll do more shows. <laughs> he tries harder. We don't want the show to t-shirts. die and you have to listen to it posthumously. Exactly. Right at, that's what I said. Yeah. All right, back to 1978. <laughs> Let's look at some of the big sports things going on. We mentioned it in episode uh, part one, the Super Bowl. Dallas Cowboys over the Denver Broncos, 27-10. to 10. In the World Cup, Argentina over the Netherlands. They play soccer in the Netherlands? I, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know either. Uh, the World Series, New York Yankees over the L.A. Dodgers. Man, it don't get no more classic than that. Baseball, New York versus L.A. in the World Series. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Cup, Montreal Canadiens over the Boston Bruins. Um, the Super Bowl of wrestling is, is held in the Orange Bowl in Miami, Florida. Draws over 12,000 fans to see the undisputed title unification match between the NWA world champion Harley Race and the WWWF champion superstar Billy Graham. Now, of course, the match would end in a time limit draw. You know, nobody, <laughs> I didn't know Harley nobody, Race was in NWA. Yeah. Him oh, and yeah. Ice Cube must have gotten along great. <laughs> Uh, other performers on there include uh, Ivan Putsky, Chavo Guerrero Sr., Rocky Johnson, and a young guy by the name of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes, the American hey, Dream. That's right. But the big sports news in 1978 is the story of boxing. On February 15th, in his, it's only his eighth professional fight. Leon Spinks defeats world heavyweight champion Muhammad Ali in Las Vegas by decision in 15 rounds. Everybody including apparently Muhammad Ali, thought Spinks would be a pretty easy challenge for the champ, but he's surprised and loses the title. The rematch takes place seven months later at the Louisiana Superdome, where Ali would regain the title by decision in 15 rounds, becoming the uh, first ever three-time world heavyweight champion. Wow. Boxing is huge in 1978. Now you don't hear much about it at all anymore. No. It's, no, all, it's all UFC now. UFC and pro wrestling. Pro right. wrestling lives. Boxing's right. pretty much done for nowadays. Yeah. And then some other news stories around October, because we're getting near the end of the year. October 12th, 
Nancy Spungen found dead. Sid yeah. Vicious's girlfriend. Sid is later arrested and charged with her murder. And then, of course, you know, Sid ends up dying after that. Right. Pretty crazy stuff. No more sex pistols. Yeah. And then uh, October 14th, Jimmy Carter signs a bill into law which allows home brewing of beer in the United States. That's a worthy news story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's brew worthy. <laughs> That's what we eat podcast where we talk about home brewing beer and the price of a pound of bacon. <laughs> so, um, but there is serious stuff going on in 1978, too. And I think the most, the biggest, most horrific story in 1978 has got to be Jim Jones. Oh, yeah. You I know, didn't even have the, that in my notes. I forgot whole, you, all about you that. You do have it. Or do I have notes. it in the notes? It's, it's there. Look. Duh. Oh, yeah. It's in November. <laughs> Never mind. We haven't got to I'm November yet. I'm not even yet. looking at it. I just oh, remembered. Okay. Well, I'm trying to go by the... Uh, anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, and I, but yeah the, the whole drinking the Kool... If you ever, wanted to, you ever hear the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, right. that's where it comes from, the Jonestown Massacre. Well, the whole story, that was like 909 women, men, and children yeah. were either you know voluntarily or were basically forced to commit suicide yeah. by drinking the Kool-Aid that was laced with what cyanide? Yeah, cyanide. Yeah, cyanide. Yep, it's a it's a nutty story and if you watch any of the documentaries on it it'll leave you with a bad taste in your Yeah, mind. the documentaries no are it's insane, man. But yeah, crazy stuff. Be careful with cults, people. <laughs> hey, here's uh, a news story unless they're fronted by Ian Asbury. Uh, okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and not to take away from the tragedy in Guyana, South America, but other, you know, pretty heavy news in 1978 is DC Comics, they add more pages to their comic books and they, they begin to charge a whopping 50 cents per issue. Bastards. This causes serious backlash and major sales drop and DC ends up returning back to 40 cents per issue with less pages and they end up having to cancel over two dozen of their ongoing titles, including such classics as Black Lightning, Mr. Miracle, and Aquaman. I've heard of Aquaman. I've heard of the other <laughs> ones. Wow. Yeah, 50 cents per issue, you know, and I don't even know what comic books are now. I know they're I well over, them. they're like expensive. Yeah. I, October 29th, Michael Schenker played his final show with UFO in Stanford, California, before he left the group to rejoin Scorpions. So that's an interesting story. Yeah. And uh, I guess the next song pick is mine. We've talked about news for a while now. So um, Rush released Hemispheres in October, the sixth studio album, recorded and mixed in London. It's similar to their 1976 release, 2112, which everybody knows. Um, Hemispheres contains a single epic song broken into chapters as the first side of the album. That's um, progressive. Yeah, as the first side of the album, while the second half contains two more conveniently executed tracks, Circumstances and The Trees. So this is one of those.
have no idea what it's man. about, but it's good. <laughs> Those guys are a trip, man, <laughs> with their concepts and their progressions and all that, man. Yep. Rush started out as just a regular old rock band, you know, and then by yep. 78, they're they're so experienced. They're like rock and roll scientists. Yeah, you know? pretty much. That, yeah, Neil Peart is probably mostly responsible for that. He he wanted to write about books and all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah. So that, you know, they they are kind of the four, well, them and yes, I'd say are the two forerunners of progressive rock. Yeah, know? for sure. So, you yeah. know what else is awesome about 1978? What's that? Not one, but two Judas Priest albums released in 1978. In October, they came out with their fifth studio album after releasing their fourth just a few months earlier. Their fifth in America, it's known as Hell Bent for Leather. And uh, it's a follow-up to Stained Class, released earlier in the year. Originally, it's entitled Killing Machine, but in the U.S., it's retitled Hellbent for Leather just because, you know... It's too scary of a yeah, title or something? Killing Machine. It's not, you know... It's not pop-friendly. And, and honestly... Oh, come on. Killing Machine is totally pop-friendly. <laughs> yeah, but in 1978, <laughs> Judas Priest is going for a different kind of a sound. Right. I think, yeah, I know. It's so amazing, you know. And I think if you talk to a lot of Judas Priest fans, this album is kind of like the end of an era almost. And it's got a lot to do with the change in direction. And, you know, on this album, they've got Les Binks on drums. And he's an amazing drummer who would later on leave the band. And they kind of felt like the direction they were going in, like this guy was too good and, and too technical. And they were changing their style to shorter songs with more commercial appeal. And the guy was a little too complex of a drummer for the direction they were headed. Right. So he would end up getting replaced, of course, by Dave Holland. And, you know, and we talked about in part one that, you know, times are changing. And there was this album that came out earlier in the year. After this, Glenn Tipton kind of takes on more of an Eddie Van Halen style guitar playing. Right. You know, and that's pretty, I think even the, the most hardcore of, of, of uh, Judas Priest fans will admit that. Yeah. Well, you know, and I was listening to that. I'm thinking, you know, we think back to that Tom Harper interview we did talking about Judas Priest opening up for Kiss the next year on the Dynasty Tour. Right. I'm just thinking, and I, I have to take my Kiss fan hat off for a minute. How many times did Kiss get upstaged by Priest on that tour, do you think? Boy, I don't know, you know. Because if you were going to see a heavy metal show. Right. And then you're just well, comparing see, the two and, bands. And that's that's what I said, too, like earlier about my Uncle Bruce, how he had kind of trans, transformed from being a Kiss fan into a Priest fan. 
I bet you he probably saw that, you know, because you got to think, you know, at this time, there's a lot of little kids going to see Kiss with their moms and dads or yeah. bringing them to see them. And then there's like the original Kiss fans who are hard rock and rollers. You know, right. they love the hard rock music and they show up and they see Priest and they think, hell yeah, you yeah. know, this band is kick ass. And then they see Kiss and they say, hey, wait a minute, you know, yeah. what's, where's what the darkness, watching? you know, this right. isn't, this isn't dark anymore, this isn't really hard edge right. anymore, you know, this is yeah, accessible. If, if you're going purely from a perspective of, I want to see a good heavy metal show, you, I don't know, man, Priest may have blown them off the yeah, stage musically, sure. and obviously show-wise they couldn't, but, right. but musically I have to imagine they gave them a run for their money every night. So Especially for the guys that were there to see a hard rock band. Right, and you know, if we want to go into November and talk about you know somebody who was more hard rock, or, or, you know, well, always theatrical, but definitely would always surprise you, especially starting around this period with Alice Cooper, you know, Alice you know, around 78 had recently gotten out of an insane asylum because uh, his drinking had gone to an all-time high and, you know, he just, the industry itself was kind of driving him crazy. And um, so he decided to write an entire album about his stay in basically an asylum. But there's rehab for alcoholism. Right, but that's from the inside. From the inside. And, you know, the album cover's amazing. You know, the eyes open up and everything like a door. And, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's a different album for Alice. He was working with big names like David Foster producing and stuff. So it wasn't your typical Bob Ezrin album. This had a lot of sounds of the time in it. So as you'll hear in this clip. I got lost on the road somewhere. Was it Texas or was it Canada? So definitely kind of a more of a sterile sounding Alice, not as hard rocking as you would expect. Right. But, you know, it's you got to look at where the guy was at emotionally and mentally. So he was probably kind of on an upswing after getting clean for a little while. Then, of course, as everybody knows, he went way further into the depths of alcohol and drug use after this. Right. And fell hard for a second time. And that's then didn't get clean till after the Dada album, as we talked about in the past. So right. But we, Dick, we Dick always... Wagner wrote a lot of stuff on that album. Right on. So it's got to be good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good songwriting. It's just different than the Bob Ezrin type material. But it definitely wasn't a big hit by Alice Cooper's uh, standards. No, I mean, he had a, he had a How You Gonna See Me Now, which was a ballad, did yeah. pretty well on the radio. That's a good song. Yeah, I mean, there's good songs on it. And, you know, the, the King of the Silver Screen. Other words, is that Lace and Whiskey? I can't remember. I'm getting my album, Alice album <laughs> messed up. But, uh, ooh, what is that? Oh, we're having a little bit of mic static. All right. But anyway, you know, not enough about Alice. I could talk about Alice all day. So what do you got next? Well, you know, in 1978, Alice Cooper wasn't, he wasn't hitting the huge hit singles like he was at one time. You know, no 18 on this one. No. But talking about the biggest hit singles in 1978, uh, at number five, it's Night Fever by the Bee Gees. It must be the Night Fever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, number four, it's The Rivers of Babylon by Boney M. 
You know that one. Boney M, yeah. Uh, number three, YMCA by the Village People. This isn't getting better as you go. No. Uh, <laughs> number two, You're the One That I Want by John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John <sighs> off the Grease soundtrack. That's yeah. number two. And, of course, number one, Staying Alive by as the a, Bee Gees. The Bee Gees in, twice. The yeah, the Bee Gees were huge. In the top five. Yeah, disco is what's... Uh, What's real popular? You know, sometimes when I think back, you know, Aaron and I will also always talk about how we kind of wish we were teenagers in the 70s. Right. Maybe it's better that we missed all the disco stuff. So maybe maybe there are benefits to not being a teenager. In the right. 70s. And, you know, in a testament, we talk about that song by uh, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, how popular that was. The number one movie in 1978 is Grease. Huge. Yeah. Oh, man, it was it was huge. Everybody had that soundtrack album. Yeah. Everybody. It's still popular. Uh, number two top movie is 78, Superman, the first one. Yeah, love that one. Uh, number three, oh, I love this one, National Lampoon's Animal House. Yep. Uh, number four is Every Which Way But Loose. You remember that one? Yeah, Clyde the monkey, right? Yeah. yeah baboon or whatever. And uh, number five, Heaven Can Wait. Mm-hmm. You remember that? That's the Warren Beatty movie where he plays an NFL quarterback. Right. Where he on. dies or something, yeah. Uh, other great movies in 1978, Halloween. Great movie. Heck yeah. The start of a franchise there. Uh, Jaws 2 comes out in 1978. Also in 78, The Deer Hunter, Dawn of the Dead, Corvette Summer, Yep, starring Mark Hamill. Right. Uh, <laughs> Watership Down. Remember that one? I remember the name. An I don't anim- think I've ever watched it. It's an animated it. thing about rabbits. No, it's I don't think I've insane. ever seen it. Huh. It's insane. We'll have to drop I acid rec- some night and watch it. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it's for. Uh, also in 78, the movie FM. Yep. Um, Up in Smoke. Oh, that's a great one. Debbie Does Dallas. <laughs> comes out w- in 78. I don't know what you're talking about. And originally aired on NBC on October 28th, 1978. Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. The greatest movie of 1978. <laughs> you know, it's a hard day's night meets Star Wars. Yeah, on crack. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Gene Simmons, Peter Chris, Paul Stanley, and Ace Frehley, and Michael Bell as Peter Chris's voice. Yeah. <laughs> also Fam- the voice of the Nestle Quick Rabbit. Yeah, famous voice actor. Uh, <laughs> for the, He's the Riddler on Super Friends. He's Duke on G.I. Joe. He's Handy Smurf and several Transformers. Really? And Peter Chris. <laughs> Peter Chris. You know, it's it's the stress of the filming of this movie that leads to the solo albums. Yeah. Just and just to keep Ace and Peter in the band. Yeah, there that as much as the fans may enjoy Kiss Meets the Phantom, you will not hear anyone who was involved in it say anything kind. Thoroughly yeah. embarrassing to the band. For many years the band's associates were forbidden to even mention the movie in Gene yep. and Paul's presence. I well, I can't blame them. <laughs> I still love the story about when the the band watched the screening of the movie. They were sitting in this private theater and Paul and Jean are just looking pale as a ghost, sinking down in their chairs. And there's Ace in the background just laughing his <laughs> ass off. <laughs> this is awesome, Curly. Yeah, you thought it was the greatest comedy movie ever made. Right. So. Uh, of course, Kistory 2 includes the heavily edited version that cuts out most of Ace's lines from the movie. Oh, the Kissology? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, previously available on a couple of rare VHS releases in the 80s and on a Laserdisc in the 90s. In 2005, the company tried to release a DVD of the original with Ace's original yep. lines intact, but was quickly shut down. But I heard a few of them got through. I have it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Made by a company called Cheesy Flicks. Nice. Yep. 
Um, so that pretty much wraps up what we've got going on for 1978, and we've covered a lot of it. You know, two Judas Priest albums, God knows how many Kiss albums, yeah. and movies, and action figures, and Dolls. lunch boxes, and every action figures. <sighs> oh, before we go, I do want to mention there were some bands form and bands that broke up. The only bands that I have that are of note that broke up were the Sex Pistols and Television. The Sex Pistols didn't really break up. They more to the point imploded. Imploded. But yeah. uh, bands formed in 1978. Anvil, <clears throat> the Dead Kennedys, Dawkin, Exciter, right Great White, nice. Sabotage, and Social Distortion. Right on. So a lot Good of deal. some of those bands probably go back further than you thought they did. Yeah, Jack Russell back there rocking in 1978. That's right. So I'm going to close it out with this one for 1978. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank everybody that comes and visits our Facebook page, all 1,000 and probably nine of them. It's time to go for 2,000. Heck yeah. You know, it seems like like it was only a couple of months ago that we were so excited about hitting 500. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, bam, all of a sudden, 1,000. You know, so who knows next week? Who knows what it could be? Yeah. There will be a new Geek of the Week. There will be a new episode every Monday. It comes out. Decibel Geek Podcast coming at you every week. Yeah. That's what we We're going to finish this year strong. Yeah, we are. Real strong. You're going to love it. And we're going to uh, close out 1978 real strong, too. You're going to love this song. Formed in Sydney, Australia in 1976, Rose Tattoo slugged it out on the club circuit for two years before releasing their self-titled debut in 1978. It's a top 40 album in Australia, not so much around the world. ACDC were big fans of this band, and Phil Rudd was a former member. They may not have made a big splash worldwide, but they made an impact on future L.A. sleaze rock bands like Faster Pussycat, L.A. Guns, and, of course, Guns N' Roses, who would release a cover of Nice Boys on their 1986 EP Live Like a Suicide. And also, this is pretty cool, they end up re forming the band in uh later on to in 1993 to open up for guns and roses during australian cool uh australian tour and they went on stage at one in the morning i love it no well yeah to open for guns and roses that's when you go on (laughs) at any rate you've probably heard this one before maybe not the original so closing out 1978 i hope you guys enjoyed it this is rose tattoo with nice boys See you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 